this is what I reckon is going to happen uh, just now. I reckon by the time that I finish this sermon introduction, that most of you in this room will think that I have lost my mind. Okay, so by the time that I finish this sermon introduction, most of you might think, uh, as my mum would say, that I have gone dulali. Okay, that I've lost my mind. Now, why do I say, why is that my fear as I start out? Well, not only this morning, uh, maybe you see it from your notice sheet, not only this morning are we beginning a sermon series in the Old Testament book of Numbers. So already some of you might be scratching your head thinking, what has come over this man? Why are we doing that? But not only that, in addition to beginning a sermon series in the book of Numbers this morning, we're going to begin this series in a most peculiar and unusual way. Okay, see the book that we're going to be studying together, Numbers, traditionally actually has gone by three different names. So this book, we know it as Numbers, right? But throughout history, over the centuries, not always be be called Numbers. It's had three different names. So what I want us to do this morning is to use those three names almost as a springboard to examining the book as a whole. So you with me? It's been known as three different names. I want to use those three names really to build a kind of platform so that we can examine and have a kind of overview sermon. So it does sound strange, doesn't it? It's not your usual, let's work through a section, let's work through a chapter of scripture today. Not that, despite the fact that we will largely be in verse one of Numbers one, we're going to be looking further afield. So was I right? Do you think I've lost the plot? Well, why do we not... Turn in our Bibles, Numbers 1, and let's find out. Okay, so do this with me, please. If you take a copy of Scripture, either the church Bible on your phone or whatever, but can we have Numbers 1 open in front of you? So I've said three names for this book. Go see three titles. Let's take the first title, um, and let's go for the obvious one, okay? So the first head, the first title is Numbers. Okay, that's the first title, first heading, Numbers. Okay, so let's begin the sermon series, shall we? At pace. So what have we got in front of us? Okay, we've got the fourth book of the Bible, don't we? Numbers, fourth book of the Bible. A book that you know as well as I do, of course, is intrinsically bound up with the one, the books on either side of this is intrinsically part of what we call the Pentateuch. And... It is a book, despite some critical voices out there saying otherwise, it is a book that is written by, penned by Moses, okay, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, okay? But here's the deal, what of this title, Numbers, where does this come from? Well, in actual fact, despite the fact that Numbers has been called other things, (laughs) Numbers has been known as Numbers, For a very, very long time. So a lot of you will have heard of a guy called Tertullian. You heard of Tertullian? He's the ancient sort of church father. Even going way back to him, he would have referred to this book uh, by that name. Now, this is what I think has happened, okay? When the Greek translation of the Old Testament was written, okay? So we're going back to 3rd century B.C., What seems to have happened is that the the Greek translators of Numbers, they have the absence of a divinely inspired title for the book. Does everyone follow what I mean by that? You know, the titles we have for the books of the Bible are not divinely inspired. 
So the Greek translators are translating the Old Testament, and they get to this book, and they have written at the top of it, Arithmoi, which obviously, you know, Greek for numbers, okay? So they've done that. And then do you know what's happened? When the Latin translation of the Bible, so that's a lot later, that's our fourth century AD, the Latin translators, do you know what they do? They sort of have a wee eye over to see what the Greek translators did. Say, Arithmoi, I know what we'll do. So they write in Latin, Numerai at the top of this book, and then have a stab in the dark what happens when the English translators come along. What do they do? They look at the, oh, the Latin guys have done this, and the Greek guys have done it. I know what we'll do. We'll write numbers at the top of this book. Okay, now, at this point, can I turn this over to you, friends, just for you to think about this. What do you think of that title, Numbers? What do you think? Can I be honest with you? I really don't like it. I don't like it. I'm not criticizing scripture. It's not divinely inspired. But I'm not the greatest fan of this this word numbers. Can I give you two reasons why I don't like it? One, I find it really off-putting. Because I don't know what you were like at maths in school. But it wasn't wasn't my forty at all. Maybe that's the case for some. There's some notable exceptions to that rule at LCPC. There's some real maths experts in part of our church, but maybe it, maybe your math wasn't that strong. So you open your Bible first thing in the morning, you want to study scripture, and you see numbers sticking out at you, and you think, right, okay, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going there. So it's off-putting, but there's another reason, because surely, given what I've just said, surely you're asking this, you're thinking, well, why, why did the Greek translators of this book, why did they call it Arithmoi? Aren't you asking that? Well, largely it's to do with the earliest material in this book. Because I, we know what's going on here, do we, with Numbers? We know that the people of Israel are, at this point, in Numbers 1, they're in Sinai, and they're just about to make this journey off to the Promised Land. We all know that, don't we? But what we've got to appreciate is that in the very early chapters of the book, God demands that a census was recorded, okay? Now, listen to the chapters I'm going to say to you. In chapter 1 to 4, and in chapter 27, so chapters, do you ever got it? Chapters 1 to 4, chapter 27, God commands that there'll be, these certain groups of people be counted, a census recorded. You understand? So do, do you see what the Greek translators have done? They've opened a Bible, they've read the first few chapters of Numbers, and they've thought, oh, I know what we'll call it. There's this big census. I know what we'll call it. Let's call it Numbers. Now, friends, what do you think of that? I'll tell you what I think. I think it's skewed. Proportionally it's skewed. Because if we know anything about Numbers, we know that it's a really long book, isn't it? Do you know that there are 36 chapters in this book? 36 chapters in Numbers. And what have I just said? I have said five chapters are dedicated to these census and numbers. Isn't it proportionally a bit skewed? Can you imagine we had eight Icelandic visitors in the room just now? Maybe we do. That would be a terrible coincidence. Uh, But let's say we had eight Icelandic visitors in here. We would not refer to London City Presbyterian Church as an Icelandic congregation, would we? And yet, like, out of 36 chapters, only five do you see what I'm saying to you? Do you? It's maybe not the most appealing and inviting name, but it's also a slightly misleading title for this book, you see? And really, I suppose that, what that does is takes me to one of the reasons why, uh, as the minister here, 
I want us to look at numbers. Because you're asking that, aren't you? Everyone's asking that. As soon as you came in this morning, you're numbers. Why are we? You're asking that question, I, I'm sure. Well, there's a big answer that I'll get to in a minute. But part of the reason is this. Why are we studying it? It's because it's such a beautifully varied book. Like far from, you know, that wide impression that we have that it's just lists of numbers and names and stuff. This is such a beautifully varied book. I mean, you have large parts of engaging historical narrative and then through to like intricate divine law and you've got Nazarite vows and you've got Canaanite spies and you've got the provision of manna, you've got the provision of water, you've got passages about biblical leadership. You even have a talking donkey in the book of Numbers is beautifully, wonderfully varied as the book of Scripture. And in light of that, do you know what I want to do right now? I want to lay at your feet the first of two appeals that I'm going to make to this congregation this morning. I'm going to give you two appeals this morning. This is the first of those. In light of how varied, varied it is, in light of how wonderful it is, will you practically engage with this sermon series? From the pit of my heart, I'm pleading with you to do that, to practically engage with a sermon series. You see, recently, I have been able to sit where you good people are sitting, haven't I? With the appointment of our assistant minister, Harrison, more often than an evening service, I sometimes sit and listen to the preaching of God's word. And do you know what that has done for me? That has reminded me that there's really kind of two levels of engagement we can have with the preaching of Holy Scripture. Aren't there two levels? You see what I mean? Do you like, first of all, you know what we can do with preaching? We can come to church, we can listen to the preaching, we can go home, right? We can engage like that. And don't get me wrong, that's beautiful. Like that's, what a joy and a privilege to hear freely, to hear God's word. But there's another level of engagement we can have, isn't there? We can prepare ourselves to hear the preaching of God's word. Now, now what does that look like? Well, if Harrison's preaching in First Corinthians, what can I do? I can think about First Corinthians. Like I can switch the TV off or cancel what I've got in the diary. Just one night I can read through First Corinthians. Can't I? To prepare myself for this sermon season, I can read it through a few times. Do you know what else I can do? When I work out what portion of scripture is going to be preached the next Lord's Day, I can study that portion of scripture, can't I? Like I can read it. I can read it with my wife. You know, I can make it a fixture of family worship. Couldn't I? Like I could actually not just prepare for this Sunday, but I could actually prepare my kids for it. You see that level of engagement? Guess what? That's what I am imploring you to do with this sermon series in the book of Numbers. Because I reckon we've got a real opportunity here. Now, we don't really in a Presbyterian church very often do congregational involvement. I don't we ever do it. But I want you to do this. You stick your hand in the air if you have sat through a full sermon series right the way through the book of Numbers before. Have a look around, people. What an opportunity, don't, don't you think? I mean, if we prepare ourselves, if we read, if we practically engage with the sermon series, what might happen? We might learn of God's word. We might see more of him 
And we might also see that there's more to this book than merely numbers. So that's the first title. We see numbers. Okay, second title, second name this book has had in the past is this. It is, And He Spoke. Okay, so that's the second name. Um, that title, And He Spoke, is actually uh, the oldest title uh, that the Hebrew Bible has given to this book. So if you were to go back to the very earliest Hebrew manuscripts of the Pentateuch, the oldest manuscripts, right back to the book of Numbers, what you would see at the top uh, is that word, and he spoke. Does that, again, does that sound strange to you? As a title for a book, and he spoke. It's probably worth knowing that that is the very first word in the Hebrew copies of this. Do you look at, you've got your Bible open, so have a look at verse 1. Have a look down. What do you see? How does it begin? So our English, the ESV says, the Lord spoke to Moses. So in the Hebrew, the, it, the first word would just be, and he spoke. Okay, so that's title of this book. Now, really want you to get this. I really want you to appreciate that. Rather than this just being a random title, so rather than, you know, the Hebrew translators translate this thing, what will we call the Bible? Oh, and one of them says to the other one, oh, let's just use the first name, the first words. Let's just use that. Rather than it being just a random title, you see that, that phrase there, and he spoke. That actually helps you to understand the book of Numbers in two fundamental ways. Now, I'm going to say that again because I am desperate that you hear what I'm saying to you. So that phrase, and he spoke, it helps you to understand the book of Numbers in two fundamental ways, okay? You want to know what those are. Here's the first one. And he spoke helps you to understand the structure of the book of Numbers. See, maybe some people in here with really good memories can remember that I spoke on, I preached on Psalm 31 earlier in the year. Okay, so uh, even if you can't remember, just nod and go, yeah, I remember when you preached on Psalm. I think it was a communion uh, service towards the beginning of the year. I preached on Psalm 31. If you can remember that, maybe you can also remember what I said at the time. And again, humor me, pretend that you can. I said that the reason a lot of people leave Psalm 31 alone is because of the lack of an apparent structure to Psalm 31. Maybe you remember Sebastian is kindly nodding his head as though he remembers that. But the reason that Psalm 30 is a messianic psalm, and it's beautiful, but I said at the time that a lot of the reason it's left alone is the lack of apparent structure to the psalm. So people are left scratching their heads thinking, what is this? Now you see the idea there? Absolutely we can equally say that in the book of Numbers. So why do we not hear numbers preached on more often? Part of the reason is the lack of an apparent structure to the book of numbers. So if you read lots of commentators on this, on this book, what they will say to you is just a mess. It's a hodgepodge for the book of numbers. It's just narrative and then there goes into law and it's just kind of dotting about all over the shop. And they'll say, just leave it alone. Preach through Mark's gospel. Leave numbers alone. Lack of apparent structure. Now, here we go. Listen, I disagree with that. And I want to really briefly just show you a couple of structures to numbers. And I know it's technical. 
I do know that. But don't we want to get our claws into it? Like I wrestled with this. I'm like, what do we do with numbers? Do we just have a nice superficial look at it? Or do we really want to engage? What do you want to do? What do you want to do? Do you not want to engage with God's word? So here's the first structure. This is what I want you to do. And I want the boys and girls to listen to me and try and do this as well. Okay? So what you've got to do is imagine three circles, one beside the other. So the boys and girls doing that, can you imagine that? Three circles, one beside... We're all doing the same, are we? Yeah. Three circles. Now you think, again, you're thinking I've lost the plot. Why am I doing that? The book of Numbers, it splits into three sections. Now each section is rooted in a different geographical location, but each section follows a cyclical pattern. You with me? I'm just going to show that, show you that a little bit. So let's take the first circle. So that's chapters 1 to 10. Geographical location. We are at Mount Sinai. The people are camped to Mount Sinai, and it's, we are in Mount Sinai. Now listen very carefully what I'm going to say. Now follow the circle. You have got setting, in verses, chapters 1 to 10, setting, then tribal listing, then plot development, then stuff about priests and Levites. Do you see it follows this circle? Okay, guess what happens? We go into the second circle, and there's a new geographical location. We are now in Kadesh Barnea. Have a guess what, what we find from chapters 13 to 19. You ready for it? What do you think it's going to be? Setting, tribal listing, plot development stuff about priests and Levites. You see there's this cyclical pattern. Then you get into the third, in the third section, you've got a new location. We're in the plains of Moab and you could all probably recite what you would find in that third section, right? You've got setting, you've got tribal listing, you've got plot development. You've got, do, you, do you see what I'm saying? Even the boys and girls, you split numbers. Numbers fits into three sections. They've all got a geographical location, but they follow the cyclical arrangement. Do you like that? I mean, imagine saying, oh, there's, there's, there's absolutely no structure to numbers. That's utter nonsense. Right? That's one, right? Here's next structure and I want you to work for your pudding today. So if you look at verse 1, have a look at verse 1. Everyone got it. What's that phrase? And he spoke or the Lord spoke to Moses. Now, look at verse uh, sorry, chapter 2, verse 1. Okay, then look at chapter 3, verse 5. Chapter 3, verse 5. Then look at chapter 3, verse 40. And then look at chapter 4, verse 1. And you're all wondering, how, long, how many times is he going to do this? <laughs> yeah, that'll do. You get the idea, don't you? Do you see that there's a mini arrangement as well? The and he spoke is actually critical for our understanding of the divisions, the mini divisions of book. Something, Christian friend, that should help you this week as you turn and read the book of Numbers. 
Now, is everyone with me thus far? So we're looking at the second title. Are we anti-spoke? And I'm saying it's not just a miscellaneous, random title. It really helps us to understand the structure of the book. But I said there was going to be two things that it would help us with. So the second thing, anti-spoke, helps us with the main theme of this book. And this is really, I think, incredibly important. So I would ask you to listen to me at least on this. It is utterly crucial when we begin a sermon series in the book of the Bible for all of the believers in this room to remember this thing. It's for you. This book is for you. And uh, sometimes that's easy for us to understand, isn't it? Like we, go the, the, we go to Mark's gospel and we can see, yes, this, this is for us. But if you, we go to the depths of the Old Testament and we're in the depths of the Old Testament here, and sometimes, isn't it true that you could be thinking, well, this is, uh, this is a bit historical. This is for other people. And this is not for me as a Christian. Not today, not in the 21st century. And genuinely, maybe some of you are thinking that this morning, thinking, oh, this is just way out there. This is not for me. I need you to remember what Paul, the apostle says to you. What Paul says to New Testament believers in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Do you know where I'm going with this? Do you know what he says? He actually talks about numbers in 1 Corinthians. Like he talks about these events that we're going to look at. And he says this, that these events we're going to look at in numbers, that they took place as examples for us. This stuff we're going to look at, far, rather than being just out there and it's not, you know, there's not, Paul, like the Holy Spirit tells you this book and these events, this happened for you as an example to you. So what, what are you asking? Like what events are these? Like what are we dealing with? What is God wanting to show us in this book? Well, there's loads of brilliant themes. And we're going to see stuff about the rebellion of man's heart grumbling against God. We're going to see lots of stuff about holiness. We're going to see all of this, but I need you to understand. Remember that theme, that title, and he spoke, and he spoke. That helps you to see one of the main themes of this book. Do you see what I'm saying to you? One of the primary themes in the book of Numbers is the self-revelation of your God. In this sermon series, you're going to see not just that God is beautifully committed to his covenant people. You're going to see that God is actually communicating with his covenant people. Over the next weeks, we're going to see God speak through Moses. We're going to see him speak through Miriam. We're going to see God speak through an angel. We're going to see God speak through Aaron. And you know what? Remember that donkey that I was talking about a minute ago. God will even speak to his people through the donkey. And so that brings me to the second appeal. Remember I said I'd make two appeals this morning. Here's the second appeal I want to make to you. Now you think about it with me. This is it. If God is a God who speaks... Will you not plead with God to speak to us as a congregation through this sermon series? You see it? If God is a God who communicates, if he speaks, will you not be in much prayer pleading with him to speak to LCPC through the sermon series in, in, in numbers? Because let's face it, we desperately need to hear the voice of God. Isn't that true in your own life? I mean, you think about the society we're living in. Think about the way that it's changing. You think about the mess our country is in. Do we not need to hear from God? 
But you think about your own experience. Think about your own life. There are people in this room who are really spiritually struggling. Not just struggling with stuff in their life. Spiritually struggling. There are people in this room who are not born again. So people who are dead and under the condemnation of God. Do we not need to hear the voice of God? And wouldn't it be great... If in a few weeks or a few months we were able to look back on this sermon series and to think positively about it, wouldn't it be marvelous to look back and think to ourselves, what happened in that sermon series in Numbers? What happened? What happened? We learned, we worshipped. What happened? We learned, we worshipped. And he spoke. So we see here Numbers and we also see and he spoke. And then the third of the three names or titles is this. If you're taking notes, make sure you get it. So the book's been known as Numbers. It's been known as And He Spoke. But this book has also been known as In the Wilderness. In the Wilderness. Now I said a moment ago that the earliest copies of the Hebrew Bible had And He Spoke written at the top. But actually it was still very, very, very early on, many, many centuries ago, that that began to change. And still really early on, so the early manuscripts, they changed and he spoke, and they would write, in wilderness. Have you had your coffee this morning? Are you switched on? You had your ready break? That's a bit dated, is it? I'm an old man. It's a breakfast cereal, if you don't know what it is. If you're alert, maybe you see why this book was changed to In the Wilderness. Do you know why it is? Have a look at verse 1. So it's the fourth word in the Hebrew text. is the word In the Wilderness. Now, this is what I'm going to do in closing. Don't panic, because I'm going to do it really briefly. In closing, I want to give you three reasons why I think personally that's the most suitable title for this book, okay? I'm not advocating that we change the title of Numbers in any way, shape, or form. But I want you to see that that title, In the Wilderness, is the most suitable title. I want to give you three, and really briefly, and it's in passing, okay? So you follow me on that? Why is In the Wilderness the best name? One, it's the most relevant to the people of Israel, because we have, we've established, have we, that none of us have sat through a sermon series in the book of Numbers, right? But you still know a bit about Numbers. I'm getting that. It's definitely true. Like, you've probably been in Numbers at a Bible study, have you, some of you? Some of you have read through the book of Numbers in your Bible reading plan. Probably there was a big sigh before you got there, but you, you got there, didn't you? Right? So we know. So you know the location for this book. Where does this book take place? It takes place in the desert. Isn't that the book? Isn't that the location, the setting of the book of Numbers? What do we know? We know that the people have just been freed from slavery. They're in Sinai. They begin to make their way to the promised land. And what do they do? They begin to grumble against God. They begin to rebel against God. And God sentences them to 40 years where? 40 years 
in the wilderness. So I reckon if I had somebody, a character from Numbers, and I had them up the front here, an ancient Israelite, and I said to them, what should this book be called? They would look, they would remember the 40 years, and they would say, this book should be called In the Wilderness. You see what I'm saying is relevant to the ancient people of God. That's the first reason. Second reason, why would we call it in the wilderness? Because that is most relevant to you, Christian friend. I mean, have you ever thought about how the New Testament speaks about the book of Numbers? Have you ever thought about how the New Testament views or appropriates the book of Numbers? In Romans, in Galatians, in Revelation, so forth, What happens is the New Testament writers, they take Canaan, the promised land, and they speak about it as a parallel, a picture of our heavenly home. Don't they? Romans, Galatians, Revelation, they speak about that heavenly Canaan that lies ahead of us. Now, do you see how relevant this book is to us then? Do you see it? Think about where you sit as a Christian in terms of redemptive history. Where do you sit today in here? Where are we? We, like those people, sit having been freed from slavery, but not quite having fully entered the great promised Isn't there a parallel? Do you see it? Like the people and the ancient people, people in numbers, we have been freed from slavery, the slavery of sin, but we have not entered this beautiful promised land that lies ahead. I'm excited about that. Tell you why. It means that when we look at the book of numbers, we can see how God wants us to live. As we journey on, as Canaan lies ahead, we can see the mistakes God doesn't want us to make. He can, we can see as we read this how God wants to, us to worship him, doing all as we journey on ahead to that Canaan, that heavenly Canaan that lies ahead of us. So we're seeing in the wilderness, it's most relevant to the ancient people of God. We're seeing it, it's most relevant to you and me as Christians. And then we end the sermon with a third reason. Why is in the wilderness such a great title for this book? Because it's most apt to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the main reason. Again, I think you're asking this, why are we looking at numbers? And yes, I'm saying we're looking at numbers because it's really varied and it's beautiful and it's diverse. Here's the main reason that through prayer we've landed on numbers of this sermon series is because this is a book that speaks of your Savior and shows you your Savior in so many beautiful and evocative ways. Jesus is in this book on every page. And maybe you're thinking, I don't believe you. And it's true. And surely if you you know the numbers, you know the book of numbers, you, you can recognize that, can you? How does God speak? God speaks fundamentally through his son. And wait a minute, the tabernacle stuff, it's the Lord Jesus Christ, not the one who can be made flesh, is tabernacled amongst us. And what about chapter 6? Jesus is the manna, isn't he? The bread of life. And then is Jesus Christ not also the Passover lamb of Numbers chapter 19? And is Jesus Christ not also the water that bursts from the rock in Numbers chapter 20? And is Jesus Christ not the good shepherd that we read of in Numbers chapter 27? I I could go on. And I've been ruining the sermon series before we got started. 
But you see it, Jesus is here, and he's on every single page of this book. And again, lest you doubt that, is this not the case, that numbers played a crucial role in the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ in his ministry amongst us? Did you hear that? Was numbers not in the mind of the Lord Christ when he was here amongst us in his ministry? I mean, think of it. Where does Jesus go in his ministry when he needs to tell people about the cross? And he needs an illustration, an image to explain that he's died for sin. You know, he's been lifted up. What does he do? Where does he go? He goes to numbers. And he goes to that serpent lifted up in the wilderness. The one if we look to, there's life and there's healing. Isn't that right? And then, were you here two weeks ago? If you were, the penny drops. Where does Jesus go in his ministry to take on the evil one? Where does he go? You get it, don't you? That's right. To do what the people in numbers could not do. The Lord Jesus Christ in his ministry, he goes into the wilderness to take on and resist the evil one himself. So I'm asking you, really pleading with you prepare pray for this sermon series in the book of numbers because here we're going to hear about the lord jesus christ and who is he he is the one through his sin bearing death at calvary through that sin atoning work he is the one who has ensured that in the end of things what will we see we will see a census isn't that right in the end of things, there will be a long, long list of names. In the end, there will be a great number, a number saved by the blood of the Lamb. Friends, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that all Scripture is God breathed. And we thank you, Lord God, that you use it and that you speak through it. If we have, oh God, uh, cast numbers aside, if we have ignored this book, we ask you to forgive us for our foolishness. But we do pray to you now as a church, as a congregation, that this would be a sermon series like none other that we've heard. We pray that your stamp of blessing will be upon it. We pray that as we work through this first part of the book over the next few weeks, that we would hear your voice and that we would see Jesus. And we do that in his matchless, precious, perfect name. Amen.